Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse. I'm your host, Chance. And as the harvest season is upon us, it's a perfect time to give thanks for all the goodness in life. One thing I'm extremely thankful for is the amazing community that's entered my life since I began doing this podcast. It's always been my goal to bring the most positive, life-affirming, and solutions-oriented content that I can to this show, along with the more conspiratorial or occult gravy that we serve up here just as often. Although it has become an oddly trendy thing for content creators out there to endlessly emphasize what they and them are doing behind the scenes to mess up life for the rest of us, the top-tier truthers out there who have graduated from the Internet Conspiracy College are the individuals who have realized the first and final truth about existence. My favorite conspiracy theory, you might say, that everything's going to be fine and nobody can stop you from living a healthy and vibrant life. In the online world of black pills and despair purveyors, it's not all that common for community to emerge from the realm of the screen into God's green earth in any meaningful way. But I'm here to tell you that it can happen. And the recent Bertaria National Festival here in Missouri was perhaps the most profound example of the fertility of persistence, positivity, and high morality. Regardless of what you think of Bertaria's most famous figure, Owen Benjamin, the community that his streams and the Bertaria Times social media app has generated is a force that is evolving and growing all on its own. It's a veritable breakaway society at this point. And each year it becomes more and more internally self-sufficient, planting seeds of hope for a healthy future with absolute resilience, regardless of what mainstream society might do. I met many old friends for the first time at that festival, and among them is tonight's guest, Adam Stevens, known to his friends as Mr. Permi Bear. As a former commercial lender turned gentleman farmer, Adam left behind life in the financial services industry to pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful, choosing Missouri in 2019 as his hill to grow on. Adam is a certified permaculture designer, soil science nerd, and co-founder of Grateful Harvest Seed Company, providing the highest quality seeds of all kinds with boundless enthusiasm. From arugula to zucchini, Adam's company can provide you with the beginnings of a grandoise garden or start you on the path to permacultural empowerment. 
And if you've got time for right, and if all you've got time for right now is a few tomato plants with 47 varieties of maters on his website, I'm sure you can find just the right kind to be the envy of your neighbors, like the dwarf tiger eye, atomic grape, or the highly sought after Jerusalem. Oh, Jesus. But aside from all this, what truly inspired me about meeting Adam last week was the loving vibe that emanated from his booth and his family and the light in Adam's eyes that only comes out for somebody who has a huge love and enthusiasm for life. Check out GratefulHarvestSeeds.com, link to the show notes, along with the, all, all the other ways you can support Interverse and get some cool stuff. So now it's time to get into the gravy with Mr. Permi Bear himself, slinger of superior seeds and guide to your permaculture needs, a true prince among Bertarians. Adam Stevens, welcome to Interverse, dude, and thanks for coming on. Wow, thanks, man. That was, uh, that was quite the intro. I appreciate that. Got to get them all warmed up, dude. <laughs> hook them with I love enthusiasm. it. I love it. Yeah, dude. So how's it, how's it going up there on the top of a hill in a trailer in the middle of uh, the Missouri countryside? <laughs> middle of nowhere. It's great. Uh, you know, we might not even get any cars driving by, which would be great. Just, uh, you know, living the dream out here in the middle of nowhere where cell service is uh, spotty at best and the gravy flows like wine. <laughs> so how's the, uh, how's the afterglow from the Bertaria festival treating you? You still, Dude, still riding still the wave? Is it? Okay. Yeah, totally still going strong. Last year I rode the, uh, the gravy high for about two weeks and uh, you know, we're, what is a week post? And uh, it seems like we're going to continue that same trend. You know, it's like every time I think about something about the festival and, uh, you know, people that I got to hang out with just get all excited again. My kids still wake up every morning and they're like, uh, my youngest is like, is the festival today again? So this is uh, not just me. It's a whole family thing. So, man, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life story? What made you bring your family where you're at? You know, how you... Went from grabbler adjacent to gardener <laughs> master. What's up with that? <laughs> Man, that's a long story. Um, so uh, where to start? Uh, got involved in the financial services at a, at a very young age. Uh, landed a job as a stockbroker. And uh, had the idea that I was going to be moving to the East Coast to live uh you know, horrible life in the city chasing the dollar. And uh, my wife now, friend at the time, and I started to date and I was put her on notice. I'm like, just so you know, I'm leaving like next month. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to move down to Texas for a little while, see how that goes. But, you know, my, my plan is, uh, is to kind of keep going. So she uh, came with me. And while we were there, we decided to get married and we had our first child and I had this, uh, this life changing moment of what am I going to feed this kid? Like, I can't feed him what I grew up on. That's, that's a terrible idea. So, uh, you know, that ignited a, a passion for gardening. We started with a 10 by 10 community garden plot in uh, North Austin. And that lasted about a month until we doubled it to a, a 20 by 10. And that went on for a few months. And I was like, man, this is great. So 
I started reading gardening books on my lunch break at work and, uh, you know, just started to really get into it. And my dad has got some property outside of Austin. And so he kind of gave us the keys to the field, so to speak, and was like, yeah, if you guys want to come out here and try some stuff, you're more than welcome to. So we went out on the weekends and uh, tried to do some some bigger stuff and really fell in love with the idea of farming. Um, enter the horrible Texas drought of, what was that, 2011? It's one of the, the worst droughts on record. And so we lived through that. We had our first child uh, during that drought. And we were like, you know, this is way too dry. We got to bail. My wife's like, I can't, I can't do this again. It was uh, 103 the day that uh, her birthday, April 11th, that we drove down to the San Antonio Zoo to kind of celebrate the uh, the baby. And he was born October 11th. And literally every single day between those two dates uh, was over 100 degrees as a high. She's like, I just, I can't do this again pregnant. So we decided to move to the Pacific Northwest. So I, I quit my job. Um, it was around that time that I decided I didn't want anything to do with the stock market anymore. Um, the positions I had were highly, highly technical and suffice it to say, I saw things that I couldn't unsee. And so I, I just needed to jettison myself from that. I just didn't want anything else to do with it. So I, uh, started a banking career because somehow that was going to be better. <laughs> so, um, we, uh, had an idea that maybe one day we would get some property. And uh, while I was working on the bank, we started buying raw milk from uh, a farm and he offered an internship. So we uh, broke our lease on our town home and went and lived on a, on a farm learning to milk cows. And that didn't last very long before we decided we needed our own place. So we just started looking and uh, kind of had this idea that we'd get a couple of acres. Well, we ended up with 32 because we got a great deal on a house and just kind of really, uh, really went for it um, farming wise at that point. You know, I kept studying, kept, you know, expanding my horizons, looking beyond gardening and started, uh, you know, looking at the works of Joel Salatin and Jean-Martin Portier and, uh, you know, Elliot Coleman, all the guys doing meat and vegetables. So we kind of started that thing up. And, uh, at that same time, I, I got introduced to permaculture. And so I read, the the whole permaculture designer manual front to back, like a novel, which I don't recommend reading it that way. <laughs> it's a great resource, really hard to read that way. cover to cover. It's uh, it's pretty dry at times, but, um, through that and, uh, as I rose up the uh, the ranks of the the small community bank world, I just had this uh, this seed planted in me that you know we really really needed to get out of debt, and um, you know I was running all the numbers. I made great money, you know, got promoted to uh, to a full full blown commercial lender, so that came with a lot of perks, nice salary. And uh, no matter how I did the math, I just didn't see any way that that was going to happen in any sort of reasonable time frame. So uh, one day, one of my clients, uh, who's the, the largest wholesaler of organic dry goods on the West Coast, 
uh, invited me to lunch at his office and he and I were sitting down together and uh, just in the middle of the conversation, he looked over the table and, and just said, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, we're here. We're supposed to be talking about banking, but we're just talking about food forests and permaculture and, and plans. And he's like, you know, the, the two worlds in which you find yourself are, are completely contradictory and you're squarely on the fence in between those. He's like, so you're going to, one day you're going to have to pick, you're going to have to get off that fence. So he said, uh, you know, basically in a nutshell, you either need to put the farm away and resolve yourself to being the best damn banker you can be, which you're really good at. So you're going to excel there or you need to uh, really devote yourself to the farm and, uh, and permaculture and this, this natural life, this simple life you say you want, because you're never going to get that, you know, while you're sitting here, uh, you know, in a bank behind a desk. So it took two years after, after that, that we finally, finally decided that the time to pursue a more simple life, to get out of debt and to just try to make our own way um, was now. So we sold the farm, sold a whole bunch of stuff and uh, packed up and moved to Missouri. I've got a cousin who lives in the western part of the state. My mom had moved to Missouri a couple of months prior to that. So with uh, an eight month pregnant wife and three kids in tow, we just went for it and uh the rest is kind of history thank you for the uh, thank you for the whole rundown of that tale because one of the things i started this show about like a main reason i started the show was because i wanted to figure out how people did the whole leap of faith getting off the fence part <laughs> mm -hmm. i was like maybe if i interview enough people that are living their actual true soul's purpose in life without a safety net, maybe one of them will be able to give me the key. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out uh, there's no one that can exactly give you the key, but I do want to ask you the question, you know, is, do you have any advice out there for people on the fence? Maybe, um, you know, were there any unseen forces that came to your aid when you made the leap of faith that maybe yeah. wouldn't have shown up if you hadn't jumped off the cliff? Oh, for sure. For sure. And it was actually those uh, those unseen forces that pushed me off the fence to begin with. So, you know, I've got this uh, this whole theory and it is just a theory. Um, but I I fully believe that that the reason that we're here is is 100 percent because of God. And so the theory that I've got is that you can either listen to what it is he wants you to do. Or he can make it so painful for you to not listen that eventually you will. And that, uh, unfortunately, is the route that I had chosen. You know, we had uh, we had somebody who was really interested in the, in the house. And so the, the day that they were bringing their brother back to come look at it, um, I got promoted. And this was this was the promotion I've been waiting for for, you know, three years. And so I called him up and, and bailed on him and was like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry, but I just got promoted. We're going to we're going to see how this rides its course. 
despite the strong feelings that I had that I shouldn't do that. And so basically like what, what the, the result was is that uh, professionally my work environment became so um, hostile is, is the, the easiest way to do, to, to describe that, that I basically, for my sanity, I had to leave. Um, we had acquired a whole other lending team as a result of a bank merger. So we overnight hired like 14 people and uh, we ended up, my boss and I who started that uh, particular branch got siloed and, you know, this made very clear that we weren't part of their team at all. And so it, uh, it forced him into retirement early, which is, um, you know, that's, that's its own thing. And, you know, got me the promotion, but it was just, it was so difficult to be surrounded by people that just a you didn't have anything in common with and, and b you just you know wanted nothing to do with you and so when that got painful enough i was like all right it's it's time screw this i'm done and if i'm quitting i'm moving so we uh you know got the house back on the market uh, i i took a job temporarily at another bank cuz i just had to get out of there but uh, you know, I was like, well, if I'm if I'm upending my whole, you know, professional career, then let's just burn it all. and Let's just go because this is, you know, BS. So. I guess, uh, you know, pain, pain and pleasure. Right. So for people looking to make that leap, I would say, you know, you just got to you just got to do it. And what I've learned is that. It's really a lot scarier than what you think it is. You know, our our whole plan here in Missouri has changed a dozen times over. And so, you know, pursuing what you actually want without regard for the consequences is really my my best piece of advice because you know, once you take that leap of faith and once you're all in, you're going to find a way. You know, God's going to provide a way for you to make it or not and and that's something i think people need to be prepared for is that you know we make our best plans and you take your leap of faith but realize that what you think you want may not actually be what you want you may not realize that until you've actually tried to pursue that but you're never going to know unless you try i totally i totally relate (laughs) what (laughs) <laughs> what I would say about like the the role of God and all this, apart from being you know the creator of all things, <laughs> the you can look at it like as a way to help you with the mental juggling of how do I get off this fence. That when you're on the fence, you or when you're doing something you don't like or that you know is harmful to your soul, you know, seeing things you can't unsee in the finance world or, or what have you. You're basically, you're doing it because you feel compelled to, like there's no other choice, like it's a survival thing. And basically that, that entire charade that you're playing out is telling God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I think I got to, I got to do it this way because otherwise I'm not going to make it. I don't trust you. Well, when you are in the, you know, faith is a very key component of the whole leap of faith. 
when you're totally. doing what resonates with you, what is biologically appropriate for you, what is moral and ethical and good and best for your family, that's regardless of, you know, if it's going to be hard or you don't know exactly how it's going to work out, you're telling God, you're telling life, I trust, I trust that doing the right thing for the sake that it's right, regardless of what I think may or may not be the outcome or reward. That's the two, that's actual faith. You know, it's not lip service. Like I believe in Jesus or I believe in that or this, you know, it's faith is an action. (laughs) Faith is an action and, or it's a refrain from certain actions in a sense too. But at the end of the day, that's what you got to do is you got to tell life. You got to tell God, I trust that the right thing will happen and that only the right thing happens. So I'm going to do my part to do the right thing. And then we'll let the chips fall where they may, but we're going to survive. Totally. Totally. I think just being willing to, to stick your foot out there and see what that next step feels like, whether you stumble or whether you run. You know, that's, that's the, that's the big thing. Like you said, it's trust. You know, I spent so much of my life and I, it's something that I still battle and I'm sure that we all do, you know, thinking that we have it figured out that we have the next four or five steps figured out. And if only this thing would happen or only these set of circumstances would happen, then, you know, we'll get to that next level where we really want. But that again, takes us out of a trusting position. And, you know, puts us back into our will and, uh, you know, our goals and not being open to what, you know, the Lord really has in store for us, you know, because we're going to spend so much time trying to force these these things that you're you're thinking of that, like you said, you're you don't actually have that trust. You don't actually have that faith. And, um, you know, how far is that really going to take you? both from a, a, you know, a physical, like where you get to, but a spiritual and emotional aspect too is, is when, you know, you get frustrated and things aren't working despite your best efforts, you know, you start, you, you can start to blame yourself at that point. And I think that that's where a lot of depression and stuff comes from is that, that people think that they're wholly reliant on their will and their abilities. And they have no trust in that someone's got them, you know, that, that God's got your back and that he's not going to, uh, you know, just abandon you to, you know, whatever happens. Right. I like, I don't know the exact verse, but there's somewhere, I think maybe in the book of Matthew where Jesus is saying something along the lines of like, you think that you're different than the bird or than the, you know, mm-hmm. the, it's probably not squirrel, but think like whatever animal out there that you see that is living the way that God made them and they, they keep living, keep existing. Mm-hmm. I like, so I do this modality called biofield tuning with tuning forks, work with people's mm-hmm. frustration issues all the time. And their like lack of satisfaction with life, which is actually a big part of what blocks the, ability to get that receptivity to the abundance that nature and God are always offering. Right. And, uh, even like, uh, there's even like a guilt aspect of this too. But what I like to explain to people is every, this is a perfect creation. Every organism 
is perfectly tuned to the environment it's in and the environment responds to the organisms that are in it so that no matter what, everything that is needed for that organism to survive and thrive will be present in the environment they're in within the range of their perception. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Like, so we're no different than that, but when we're playing in the artificial world, we're playing in the corporate Babylon world, there's all these illusions set up and constant messaging set up to make you afraid that what you need is not available in your environment. But the funny thing is, even in that environment, artificial as it is, it's still, that's, this still applies. <laughs> you know, it's just about mm-hmm. being clear enough to see the opportunities and being faithful enough to take the opportunities. But let's, let's talk about some, uh, let's, <laughs> cause this has been really good. I, this is what I want people to hear this type of messaging and help whoever is ready right now to get off the fence to do that. But I do want to talk, let's talk some um, permaculture, you know, but yeah. I really want to know how has learning about permaculture and maybe practicing it affected your life outside of the garden? That's something I'm wondering. A lot in every way you can possibly imagine. You know, I think one of the, one of the biggest things on a day-to-day basis is that I see the patterns in nature everywhere. And it doesn't matter, you know, what it is. And it could be a physical pattern, you know, like a, a dendratic pattern of, say, a tree or a river. Or uh, the other day, uh, we grew these uh, these really rare tomatillos, and I peeled off the flesh and the uh, the pulp on the inside, where all the seeds are, looked like a morel. And it's like, whoa, you know, there's another pattern. But... um. But it's it's beyond the physical patterns. There's behavioral patterns. There's uh, spiritual patterns. There's you know all kinds of things that that fit in that. And and a big part of permaculture is the study of patterns and pattern recognition because it's through the application of those patterns that we're able to achieve more than what we what we had thought that we could do. You know the the patterns which God has given us, or as a lot of people would say, the patterns observed in nature, like that's your template. And I fully believe that most things fit into a pattern or a template. And our job really is to understand which ones so that we can then apply that. And if you understand the the template and you understand what other things share that same pattern, now you can start to mix and match things. Now you can get into function stacking and, and it goes, you know, it, it's so much more beyond gardening, right? Like uh, for example, so we have uh, we have the seed company. Uh, I'm also co-founder of a construction company, Ozark Legacy Contracting. And then I have my permaculture, you know, design stuff. And then we have our own personal farm. And so the contractor company that's with Gardner, right? Uh no, that's uh that's with a couple of the other Oh, uh, but he's guys. he's training you guys on some stuff. Am I yes. right about that? Okay. Yeah, yes. I knew he had some yeah, involvement. So, yeah, so we were looking at doing some domes and uh doing some other stuff together. So yeah, there there is definitely an overlap. But um so so going to the pattern thing, you know, you look at, at the ways that things overlay and interface, and uh and one of the patterns is that everything has an output and an input. So if you look at the the relationship between 
you know, the things that I do personally and the things within the business, the inputs and outputs are all connected uh, theoretically. So, uh, for example, if somebody were to hire me to come build a house for them, right? And, you know, it's rural. So that opens up conversation to, well, what are you going to do with your land? Now, maybe we'll talk about, you know, permaculture design, uh, you know, doing a, a design for them. And then that leads into, well, what are you going to do with your garden? And so then that leads into seeds. How are you going to, you know, connect things in the meantime? So you have possibility of uh, farm products there. You know, you have greenhouses, you have other people that you can, you can connect with them through your network. And so suddenly you start to see that um, it, none of these things are one standalone uh, entity that they are all connected and there's a, a system and a feedback loop that can happen between all of these things. And so that's, that's that permaculture thinking, you know, the other big part of that is, is function stacking. You know, I'm always looking for, well, what else can I do? Um, if I'm going to do this thing anyway, what else can I do with that to get uh, a benefit? And one, really easy one that I like to encourage people with a lot is if you have hobbies, things you're going to do anyway, how do you turn those into a business? How do you make a side hustle from that? So now that not only are the expenses that you're incurring while you're doing those activities tax deductible, theoretically, but also you've taken this thing that was just interesting to you and now you've turned it into a potential income source. And so I like to try to make everything that I have that's a hobby or every piece of specialized equipment I own, how do I structure a business around that so that I can function stack with this thing that I was going to do anyway? I, I kind of do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everything I'm doing on a day-to-day basis is either like, well, there's a potential that pretty much everything I do that I would do anyway could potentially generate income for me. So mm-hmm. I think that that's almost like um, a, a outcome of doing what you actually feel resonant in your soul about, you know, that even yeah. stuff that you're pursuing just because it's like super fun or interesting. If you keep going down that path and keep putting in the time, it's, you know, as opposed to putting in the time on Netflix or something, it can grow into something that becomes fruitful. That's the beauty of this world. There's fruit everywhere. It's all fruit. (laughs) Um, let's, okay. So I want to talk about the, uh, the seeds, you know, grateful harvest seed company. Let's talk about, I mean, I, I honestly didn't even know there were 50 varieties of tomatoes possible. Oh, there's so many more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, okay. A good place to start actually would be to have you maybe riff on a bit with the, you know, same subject matter that you gave us a speech about at the Bertaria festival. Okay. That was a really great presentation. Got me super fired up for the possibility of having you on as a guest and uh, that, you know, you don't have to necessarily re-encapsulate that entire speech, but if you could, if you could provide us with uh, a window into that gravy portal that you opened that day, I'd love that. Sure. Sure. So, um, 
you know, when you're when you're trying to learn about farming and you're trying to learn more about gardening and you're you're looking to take things to the next level, um, I find that people go, you know, one of two ways. You either go the the chemical route, like what what chemicals, what, you know, petroleum based fertilizers, what newfangled technology can I put on these plants in order to increase my yields, make everything better. The other way that people go with that is, you know, what can I do naturally that's going to, that's going to, you know, help me get to that next level. And for me, where that ultimately led is, is soil and really understanding what is soil. And uh, that's still, you know, an enigma. And when, when you get into that realm, you know, there's so many people involved in that, that it can be kind of hard to, to sort things out. And so through um, lots and lots of research, lots and lots of studying, um, I came across Matt Powers, who's is like my favorite soil permaculture guy. And he's, uh, he's really been on the cutting edge with taking all of these like concepts out there that that different people had in different areas you know like elaine ingham who's got like the soil food web and like john kemp who's super into uh photosynthesis and you know complete photosynthesis and then you know uh uh chris trump who's all into you know johnson sue compost and you know making a whole bunch of preps or whatever so he um assembled a lot of the stuff and wrote a book called regenerative soil and that was like a a game changer for me because it was the first time that i'd ever seen a, a publication that that laid down the groundwork of like here's the nitrogen cycle here's the carbon cycle this is the cobalt cycle right so it goes into all of the the chemistry you know nerdy stuff that you know it's kind of fun to get down to but then he goes into this whole like back part of the book is all like, here's what you can do on your own. And he starts getting into like biochar, bioinoculants, liquid plant foods, liquid fertilizers. And um, it's like, wow, there's, there's like a lot that you can do here. This is, this is really exciting. And um, so, so through those, those, uh, individual little pieces then you start to assemble a more cohesive view of of this beautiful creation that we've been given and these you know i I hate to call them laws but because they might not be but the these systems that that god has engineered and so you know you start to learn about the system and learn about how how it can work if you address all of the components of the system appropriately, and then you start to get into like, well, what's theoretically possible with this, you know, and some of the things that are theoretically possible would be like taking crops that take months to mature and compressing that window down to a period of weeks. Um, Topher gave a really great example on uh, one of his podcasts. Uh, Dan, I think was the guy. Uh, down in Costa Rica, who, you know, is big into biochar. And so he he's growing all these different plants and these durian trees. And Topher was telling me that 
you know, he knows people that have planted these trees 12 years ago and they're just now barely getting 50 feet tall. Well, this other guy planted them and in two years they were 50 feet tall. And so it's like, whoa, what's going on? Right. Like that's, that's incredible, but it's not just the trees. And so you're like, you start looking at that and say, okay, well, why is it working? Is it just the biochar? And it's not. And that's the really interesting thing. It's, it's this whole realm of interconnected things that are, are so small, but yet so large. And so, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to connect all of those things, you know, instead of starting with like, why is my plant sick? You got to go way, way, way down and say, are my microbes healthy? You know, and you can start at the bacteria and the fungi level because everything's a food chain. So if your bacteria and your fungi aren't healthy because either there's an imbalance, they don't have what they need. They're not, you know, being able to complete their life cycle in a good amount of time, then the things that eat those are going to be deficient. And then the things that eat those are going to be deficient and so on and so forth. And by the time that it gets up to us, we're deficient. Our food is deficient. And how can you ever achieve true health in your genetic, uh, the, the full expression of your genetic capabilities if you yourself don't have what you need? And so what really got me excited when I heard some of the things that that were that were possible is like you mean to tell me that we can grow nutrient dense food in a fraction of the time have yields that are two to three times higher than what would be agreed upon as like typical and we can kick epigenetics up to the next level my genes can fully express themselves i can capture true health but now I can also pass that on to my children and imagine what they could be if they had everything that they needed uh, from a, a, a nutritional perspective and a genetic perspective. And then their children from the beginning, from the beginning. Yeah. But what gets even crazier about that, like this is already like gravy, right? It, but what gets even crazier about that is when you're starting to look at all of those little bits and pieces, the, the biota in the soil, everything has a frequency, right? Every living thing has a frequency. So all of the things within your soil that make up the soil are no different than that. We're no different than that. We have a frequency. Every, every place on this earth has its own frequency to go with that. And so to, to kind of sidestep just a, just a minute, um, if you're getting food trucked in from the West Coast or from Chile or, you know, wherever, what's coming in, not only is it nutritionally depleted, it's mostly water, it's picked at the wrong times, you know, everything we know already that's wrong with, you know, quote unquote, commercial food, right? We're already getting that. But now you add into there that it doesn't have what you need from a frequency or energetic perspective because you're it's from a different place so you're eating this thing that now does not have the same resonance as the environment in which you find yourself and so now you're not getting a good biofeedback loop because you know the thing you do three times a day is giving you information 
both nutritionally and energetically from a place that you're not even at and your body's like, whoa, what am I trying to do here? Like, how do I adjust to this environment? You know, you're, you're constantly creating a disharmony energetically within that, uh, within your body as a result of that. So stepping, you know, back into the original line of thought. So you get your biology right. Now you have changed the resonance of the organisms within that by giving them what they need by getting the right ratios you know think of like a, a crowd of people if you have a male female ratio at the simplest uh form if you're overly male you're going to have a masculine energy if you're overly feminine or overly female you're going to have a feminine energy like there's a good mix somewhere in the middle there depending on what it is that you're trying to do and so you get the same thing within the soil where like you've got your good, your right mix of all of the different little components in there. And now it's waking up, right? And so you have your local energetics, you have now your soil energetics, you're taking those things into your body just from being there and from eating that food. Now you're in harmony with your environment. And, you know, theoretically with everything happening in the cosmos as well. So now you have nutrition, you have genes taken care of, but now you've also taken care of energetics. Now, what would that look like for us? What would that look like for our children, our grandchildren? Are we talking like we're back to 120 years as the life given to man? Are we talking like Methuselah? Like what's, what is the, the boundary, right? Because if, if we don't have disharmonics and if we don't have, um, nutritional vacancies then we can truly be at ease and get rid of dis-ease so what's possible you know when you when you go through and you take all of the appropriate steps with your soil and you address everything from the the bottom layer all the way up and you make sure that everybody has everything that it needs diseases go away pests go away imbalances it's all gone. So you just have these plants that are just like crushing. We can do the same thing. And, and, and it all starts at that lowest level. Um, you know, I, another thing that was an epiphany for me a, a couple of weeks ago, as I was thinking about that, you know, the, the highest quality, most expensive probiotics on the market are soil based. So if you look at like what it takes for us to be, you know, living, like how do we take up food? Like we have our digestive system, but that's all reliant on microbes in order to break that food down and be able to uptake the nutrients. So if the probiotics that we most need are found in soil, which enable us to digest and uptake our food, if that's where they are, then it's really easy to see how you can have the opinion that we were made from the soil, which is just like, like mind blowing, right? It's literally, we are made of those organisms without those, we would cease to live. And, um, you know, so sometimes I'll go into like an undisturbed part of the forest where there's like really good soil and I'll kind of like move the leaf stuff out of the way. And I'll just like grab some soil and just pack a lip of it. And, you know, instead of spitting, I'm swallowing and it's just this this uh this great way to re-inoculate yourself as you've been exposed through a variety of 
you know, things that just tend to destroy your, your biology. And I think that's a, a cornerstone of uh, health and energetics, really. Man, thank you for that. That's just like flow state. Let's ladle. Yeah. <laughs> the I, are dip. I think you really have to, to get to the, to get to a new and better life and new and better world. You got to be able to imagine what's possible beyond where you're at. So that's what I totally. really love about everything that you just explained, because there's somebody out there, their mind just expanded. What they could conceive of as possible just went up a few notches. And mm -hmm. that's literally required to, to have change and positive evolution in life. You know, it's the <laughs> in the rat race, distracted 24 seven, exhausted, unhealthy, sick. That's the world where it's been crafted and we do it to ourselves because we're afraid of our own success. You know, I won't blame it all on these. These are the thems out there are exactly like the pests that come onto the plant to do some cleanup for something that's out of balance. <laughs> you know, everything parasitic seems to work that way. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what does the world look like when we fix the, the soil on a more universal level, widespread level? Yeah. Not just the humans. Like, what are the animals going to be like? Are they going to be, you know, communicating with us? Are they going to become <laughs> more intelligent? Are we going to have like, are we going to actually know some bears, like physical, literal bears and have some relationship with them? <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what is possible? The, you know, the full expression of the Garden of Eden here could totally. be incredible. Yeah, and I I really think that that's on the table because it's not just our health, right? It's definitely the health of our animals, and we know that our mental capacity is, is retarded if we don't have what we need nutritionally, energetically. Um, you know, like how many people struggle with depression? Well, that's that's fixed by the soil. Like that's that's a that's an imbalance in your your biome, and through interactions with living soil you take those in and it can fix that imbalance, right? So have you ever seen a depressed cow, right? Like obviously like a feedlot, but I noticed it in my animals, you know, they get moods and, uh, you know, some of them are kind of retarded. <laughs> so like if they had everything that they needed, absolutely. I think that, that we would see traits manifest and behaviors manifest that we can't even imagine and would we have verbal communication i don't know that'd be rad but i mean i, I heard a, i heard a story of an orangutan driving a car you know the other day <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or it awesome. might have been a chimpanzee or something but you know uh, there's i think that spark of i think the the spark of life is the same thing as intelligence i think that yeah. you're like the flow and the flow and amount of energy in your system versus the constriction and stagnancy of energy in your system is exactly the function of your intelligence. That's the same. Yes. It's the same, you know, it's a direct correlation. It's exactly the same. I think that applies to all creatures. So, you know, yeah. sky's the limit, but you brought up Matt powers. Love that guy. Mm -hmm. Had him on a couple of times. I was actually, you know, I've always already hatching in my mind that it would be fun sometime to have you and powers on a stream together. 
after we'd had you on one-on-one. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's put that into the uh, imagination portal and see what comes out. But yeah, there's so many cool things that he gets into. You know, I love, yeah. I love the idea that the soil could be holding the genetic information of things that might even be extinct in like a dormant way. Yeah. And that there's something about soil that is the preserver of life in the realm, even if there's some kind of external extinction event that it can come back. It comes out of the soil, you know, from dust yeah. to dust. Yeah. That part is really cool. And then one other yeah. thing I want to put out there is he talks about pleomorphism of bacteria. Uh-huh. And uh, th- that applies to our gut as well. Our gut bacteria, pleomorphism, meaning it can change from one to another. It's like back. Most of these bacteria are like a universal chassis that can alter based on the situation that's needed rather than like, mm-hmm. you know, what you would consider distinct species of bacteria. It's more like, Bacteria is this amorphous thing that evolves. It expresses its epigenetic changes in the same, you know, because the culture is so quickly changing, uh, breeding and dying off, I guess, but it just like literally morphs into something else. So that can, we can alter our gut bacteria with things like frequency. We can do it with improving our, like it's mind blowing, but feelings like frustration, resentment, guilt, and shame, when they when they're undigested, your gut biome, as in you haven't processed it, your gut biome actually changes to be more difficult to digest food. You know, you have problems yeah. with physical digestion when when that happens. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, like what what we could do with things like pleom or um frequency with the soil, not just to yeah. alter the bacterial expression, like maybe some very simple ways, but is that like healing the earth as an organism of its, its emotional blockages, you know, cause I looked at the whole realm under our feet as a living being, not just dead mm-hmm. soil, you know, it's alive. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think, um, man, you gave me goosebumps. <laughs> we didn't go to that. Like, uh, that really resonated. Um, I think that you're, you're a hundred percent onto that, uh, onto something there. So, so there's a couple of things, um, you know, the soil retaining the genetic, um, memory, if you will. So we, we know now that there is a, a thing that happens, uh, called horizontal gene transfer between all kinds of different life forms, like plants will do a horizontal gene transfer with fungi. Right. And so it's, it's this genetic information that doesn't even belong to them that is information coming into them about their environment, their surroundings that allows them to then take next steps. And so if you have like living soil and you, and if you look at that as an information superhighway, you could have these horizontal gene transfers that could be going on, passing genetic material and information from things that are long dead but that resonance is still there. Now, the other really interesting thing that that you're really onto something there uh, is the memory of the soil. So, your your main um, your main uh, components. So, so your main physical characteristics of soil, the things that make up soil, is you have uh, clay, silt, and sand. All soils are based off of a combination of those things. 
uh, loam, for example, is like what you want. And that is uh, mostly um, silt and sand, I think. I don't, that's not really important. So, but what is important is that the primary component that makes up each of those three macro components of soil is silica. And what do we do with silica? Computer chips, processors. Silica has the, to our knowledge, the highest ability to store energy and information. And so if your bits of silica are connected through living organisms, through mycorrhizal fungi and, and other things, there you go. There you go, right there. That's the repository of energy and information. Some uh, genuine Arkansas quartz. We're just littered with it in this part of the world. That's awesome. Yeah, grind that up and and put it out over the fields, you know, get biodynamic prep going on. I think that that's related to it. You know, there's a spray that you do uh, with with quartz, um, a foliar spray at certain times. And I think that the reason that that's done is the silica for its um, ability to transmit and capture information and energy. So if you have this big network that is spread out, you you basically have like all these little processors within the soil, this repository of information that could go back to the beginning of time. And it's just being able to tap into that. And then the thing that you know, I don't know how much validity there is to this, but it really I've never thought about it in the silica level being part of what stores the information from organisms. But that makes so much sense. It does. Yeah, it's it makes sense to me. And then, like, I, I've had a lot of conversations with people at the festival about electroculture. You know, it's a big hot topic right now because it's seems to be something there and and people get really good results with that. So I've been really thinking like well what is that how does that relate to all of this i'm like okay well if if you're basically have a you know a, a computer in the soil a, a you know microprocessor galore and you like jam this copper wire in there and you connect it to that to the ether now it's getting that much more energy and information like that's that's you know going from uh you know battery powered single cpu to like plug in you know bitcoin mining machines that are just like you know these crazy are you you using electroculture uh not yet that's i've been really on the fence with like okay so yes but no so that damn fence again i know right so uh with copper wire no but i have so so anything that is conductive can give you a lot of the benefits of electroculture. It just turns out that copper wire is like the best at it. And so I've noticed for a really long time that the tomatoes and cucumbers that we grow on cattle panels do a lot better than anything else. And I think that a big part of that is whatever interaction is happening as a result of electroculture is because I got these T-posts down in the ground. I've got this metal mesh basically secured to the t-post with wire and these plants growing up through them and so you know for the longest time i thought it was just oh well it's airflow you know it's a good it's a good trellis situation but it's really so much more than that and um you know i i really think that there is an enormous amount of information 
that we don't really know that we have access to that could change the world as we know it if we were just able to get all of our ducks in a row and, and to get everything together um you know i think one of the the really interesting things to me about being human is i believe that we can be the greatest force for destruction or the greatest force for good it's just how do we how do we use these right how do we employ those things and so if we set our mind to we're going to understand as best we can these systems we're going to address these issues in our soil therefore address it within our animals and within ourselves and our subsequent generations what could the world look like 20 years from now what about 50 years from now like we could have superpowers you know like we just don't know it's a comment about the information in the soil you know one of the things that seems abstract about that is like well how do you get you know because we're thinking in terms of like computer technology you know how do you get the the file from the crystalline hard drive to you know the screen where we can read what's on it <laughs> right yeah. but that's us thinking in the terms of like our artificial world and what i have come to understand about again through my work using the tuning forks to balance people's energy fields is that what really is important is that the parts are connected and and able to communicate with each other. And when that is established, when we don't have all these like blockages and inner schisming that causes a, you know, where our, cause this is what transhumanism is about. Transhumanism is about trying to get the human being to route all of its processes through a central processor like computers do, <laughs> mm -hmm. but our bodies are not meant to operate that way. You know, at the point where they're going to want to be implanting things into your body and, you know, having things that control your physiology through remote means obviously stay far away from that. But you know, your body though, like your pinky is connected to your ear is connected to your toe. Like you, you learn this from looking at reflexology how there's points on your feet you can stimulate with electricity or vibration or massage a certain point on your foot and it's going to open up your lung capacity mm -hmm. or it's going to help your liver function there's it's all connected every point is connected to every other part so if we have re, if we have properly established the connectivity or the communication network for soil for example mm -hmm. and it how okay so how we have it in our body is when there's memory that is, it, you know, your energy field is your memory. And when there's a, when I find something that is a problematic memory or stuck emotion in somebody's energy field, and I tell them, you know, about when it was and about what it felt like or what the belief was related to, the memory of what it was that actually happened, it comes in like that. It just, boom, they instantly recall wow. it. So... I'm thinking, you know, this must apply to the information or the memory that's in the soil, too, that in the moment when it is needed, when it's appropriate, when it's called for, then that information comes up. It's not like a file archive database where you can just go browsing through and be like, OK, pull this up now. But it's an intelligent network, just like our biology is, where the information will emerge when it's needed if everything's connected. So, you know, that's the epiphany I just had about like, yeah, what are, what are we what are we talking about when we say that there's information in, you know, in the crystal, in the soil?
I think that's what yeah. we're talking about. Just like memory in our energy field comes up when it's needed. It, it pops in. We all of a sudden recall it. I think that that's how life could re-express itself out of the soil when the conditions are right. Because this yeah. happens, man. Like, uh, <laughs> I know this guy, Mitch, who has been putting scalar energy devices or orgone devices all over Arizona and putting them around the cell phone towers as a way to improve the frequency environment for the entire state. And it started monsooning there. And now their monsoon season for years has been huge and they're getting more rain the last years than they ever did. <laughs> and wow. So there's these little organisms that are coming out of the soil. Like the, they call them dinosaur shrimp that mm -hmm. were thought to be extinct or not part of that re bio region or whatever. And now that the conditions have changed in the region, because it's getting rain again, these things are just emerging. They're just showing up yeah. in the ground and people are like, where did this come from? So that's totally. to me. And there's other examples of this, even with bigger organisms, like even big cats starting to show up in places where you wouldn't expect them. So it's like when you're not looking, yeah, <laughs> it's like stuff just pops yeah. in. It's so crazy. Yeah. Or like thermophiles in your hot compost. Like where do those come from? Um, and I, I think that, yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's, it's probably better to, to call that an intelligence as opposed to, you know, just classifying it as, as information that, you know, how do we access that? I think it's your inner knowing. And I think it's that knowing that all organisms have that, that allows, you know, things to come back, whether they spontaneously emerge, uh, because the, the information was there. Maybe it's like the, um, you know, those, uh, the bacteria that we thought were the same, uh, and we're just this one type cast, but it all turns out that they can adapt based on conditions. Is it something similar to that where based on the conditions, the building blocks come together and these things can now emerge or, you know, are they spontaneously created or were they dormant? Like we don't know, but I do think that, that intelligence is the right way to describe that. And it's there, and I think only when we are in a place that we can interact with that, um, that we we can access things that, you know, we, we didn't know. So maybe this is like epiphanies. Maybe this is, you know, inspirations. All of these things to where you're like, well, how did I know that? Maybe that's where that's coming from is that intelligence, that, that uh, information that is lying latent that is just waiting to have conditions created that it can a maybe transmit, you know, if you're living in like Monsanto country that, you know, has dead soil, you're not going to get that information versus like, you know, how many people have gone out to, uh, you know, rainforests or old growth forests or things like that. And they've had these like massive spiritual awakenings. Well, maybe that's that intelligence. Like you finally have gotten to a place where you can interact with, and, you know, almost absorb that, like, I don't know if it's osmosis or, you know, whatever it is, but um, you're able to, to actually take up and use some of that. And it can, it can look at any number of ways. I think you're, you're right on. It's an energy thing to put it simply. I'm sure you've had yeah. this experience, right? Where you're you have some knowledge about who you are or some philosophy about life 
that unlocks in an epiphany type way. You, you put it into action. You're living that way. You're like, I just know this in my bones. And then mm-hmm. your health dips. You get more stressed. You have some other distractions come into your life. Your energy wanes and you forget all of those epiphanies. And then mm-hmm. finally, you kind of totally. get yourself back up to a level of balance and and energetic vibrancy and vitality. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it's like phew, you remember those epiphanies. And you're like, how did totally. I ever forget that? Why wasn't I putting that into practice? How did I, how did I forget? Because <laughs> like the Greek philosopher said, I'm pretty sure all learning is remembering. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> and I think the soil is the exact same way. The healthier yeah. we can get the soil and the more energetically connected and, and powerful we can get the soil and then it applies to the plants too. The more they will remember, it will remember about how to best express what it's here to express. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And what if like the only way to take up certain parts of that intelligence is to eat it? Like, and so we're missing out on this whole, you know, layer of gravy because it's supposed to come to us through the things that we eat, but yet we've disrupted that, uh, that pathway. So, I mean, there's another there's another possible vector right there, but yeah, I, I think energy is, is definitely the, the best way to describe that. And there's any number of ways which energy is transmitted through a system. You know, some of it's direct contact, some of it's proximity. I think it's exactly the same thing. It's just what, what type of information and then what, what things did we know as individuals as well as as just humans that we've forgotten because we just we're not there we've just gone away from that oh we're we're far in the gravy ocean right now (laughs) (laughs) money throw us a life raft Uh, we got to take our intermission man so can you tell people where they can find your seed company what you got to offer there and if there's any way that you they can follow you or connect with you that you want to offer Sure. And closing so, and closing thoughts for the free hour. All of that. Okay. So uh, you can find us at gratefulharvestseeds.com. We've got somewhere around 230 varieties of uh, vegetables, flowers, and uh, herbs. They're all open pollinated or heirloom. Uh, most of them are organic. And there's quite a few of them, especially in the tomato realm that we grow ourselves here on our farm. Um, we're going to be launching a YouTube channel at some point. Once I can free up a little bit of time right now, um, we have a, a Twitter account that is neglected. Um, a lot of time on the Vertaria Times app as well. So that'd be a great place for people to connect with us. Yeah, man, we haven't even really got into the community aspect or, you know, cause that's so inspirational or the, uh, you know, family aspect i know that you're a great father and husband those are all things i'm interested in as well as talking more about seeds themselves so apparently there's a lot of uh, goodness on the table here people can find the second hour of this show on rockfin and we'll be streaming live and you'll also be able to get it after we end on patreon so all that's going to be linked in the show notes i just posted it in the chat for people here live we're going to take a few minutes of intermission musical break listen to an awesome song by music bear also known as i love and he performed at the bear Taria national festival i was very 
excited about his set. The message in his music got me all fired up. It's exactly the type of thing I would want to put into music if I was making music. And as Adam said, he's a savant. So enjoy this track. It's very appropriate. It's called Lightning. You know, all about that energy. And we'll see everybody uh, later who's just a free listener. And thank you to the supporters who are already chatting on the Rockfin side. Looking forward to going deeper with Mr. Permie Bear. And thanks for being here, man. See you on the other side. All right. Sounds good. Sound.